So chapter 3, we got through the first uh, 10, 11 verses last week. Uh, today we're going to look uh, really to Jesus, looking to Jesus together. And we have Peter, okay? He's now got this great opportunity set before him to preach. And I don't know if you guys have ever had that opportunity where I wasn't expecting this, okay? I was just going about my biz, my day, my routine, and God showed up and did something I wasn't expecting, and now I have an opportunity to talk about him, to share Jesus with others, and that's exactly what Peter gets to do here today. Let's look at verse 11 to kind of get our context here. Now, as a lame man who is healed, held on to Peter and John, all the people, they ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why do you look so intently at us as though by our own power and godliness we have made this man walk? So behind me is a picture of uh, Solomon's porch. Well, an artist drew it because it's not there any longer. But um, his portico, his uh, colonnade, okay? Um, there's these columns that covered this uh, beautiful area there on the Temple Mount. It's on the east side, okay? Opposite of the western wall is where it was in that day. The people ran together to Solomon's porch here. They're gathering, okay? And they're all greatly amazed at this lame man from birth <laughs> just got healed. This miracle took place. And they're like, what is going on? Okay, we know this man. He is now walking, leaping, praising God. <laughs> Something has happened. We want to know more. So, when we consider Christianity... Okay, this is an amazing thing that took place, correct? Awesome. I wish I could have been there. That would have been awesome to see. But it helps us as believers, as Christians, really to define and distinguish Christianity. You see, Christianity is a phenomenon. Do you guys understand that? You see, it isn't a teaching only. Obviously, teaching is a big part of it, but the phenomenon of Christianity. Well, what's phenomenon, Pastor? Well, some sentiments to it is an occurrence, okay? A fact, an experience that takes place, a happening, an incident, and an event. You see, Christianity is essentially something that happens, something that has happened, something that is happening, something that is going to happen. See, people try to reduce Christianity to an ethical or a political teaching or even worse, some kind of religious method or ideology teaching, okay? There's Confucianism, there's Buddhism, there's Islam, and they're nothing but teaching. You see, they don't claim anything else either. They deal with how people should live. They look into different philosophies in some kind of religious form and tie it all together. 
See, Christianity is not in this category. Christianity is unique. It's historical. It is a phenomenon. It's phenomenal. Amen? Amen. So it is something that is done and then is followed by teachings that explain what has happened. The Old Testament was the same, old, same way. Think about Moses with me for a second. He's a great example. He didn't sit down and read a book, right? Okay, he was meditating and ruminating on what life was all about, nor was he trying to come up with some philosophy of existence. Nope, he was in the middle of the most ordinary vocation. He was a shepherd, just out shepherding, right? And then suddenly he's confronted by something, a phenomenon, a burning bush. And Moses, in seeing this burning bush, said, I will now turn aside and see this great light. So he was about to investigate when the voice spoke. And this was a meeting with God. It was a phenomenon. One becomes Christian when one is confronted by something that is a phenomenon. Something asserting, okay? Something that is shaking, something that is inexplainable, okay? Um, incomprehensible. It is something that changes the lives of men and changes the lives of women. Nobody could understand it. No one could put a stop to it either. The Jews tried. The Romans tried. And there were grievous persecutions forced upon the church. They went underground, but it still went on. <laughs> you see, they murdered Christians. They tried to murder all the leaders. But the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. No matter what comes against Christianity, it continues to grow. It continues to go forth. I encourage you guys sometime to pick up the book, England Before and After Wesley. There's some great insight. You read of the degradation, the vice, the sin of the day there in the 18th century. And then after how revival began in these gin shops, people coming to faith like crazy, okay? The bars, they would close up and they'd start holding church. Something was happening. Revival was taking place. A phenomenon had started. Okay, and we know of the mighty revival. So have you been confronted by something that made you stop and think? See, that's always the first step in becoming a Christian. The beggar walked. Something happened to him. But Peter quickly said that you're concentrating on the wrong thing. Okay, you guys are missing it. It's not the miracle that is important, okay? It is vital to which it points. And where is that miracle pointing, okay? It's like Moses at the burning bush. He immediately was told what? Take off your shoes, Mo. You're on holy ground here, okay? There's a point to what's going on. The presence of God is here. God is on the move. You see, you need to experience God in a way where you hear, take off your shoes. Have you ever had that happen? Where you had an encounter with the living God. A phenomenon has taken place. 
See, every Christian, active Christian, is faced with a dilemma. And it's this. How do you get the attention on Jesus when you're the one doing the good deed? How do we bring the glory? How do we point it to Jesus when that happens? So when we do the good deeds, for someone, how do we bring it to Jesus? Okay, And let people know, hey, whatever is being done, it's Christ in me, right? So how can we point to Jesus without being cheesy? Have you guys ever heard of cheesy Christianity? Yeah, yeah. I used to call Christian movies cheesy. I don't know if you guys were in the same boat. They've gotten a lot better in recent years. <laughs> but years back, they were super cheesy, <laughs> you know? And I embraced the cheese. You know, I, <laughs> I did, I did. I'm like, hey, I can be cheesy too, you know? Because I'm loving Jesus, and everybody else is loving Jesus is a little cheesy. So let's cheese it up. Cheese whiz. Um, <laughs> so... Um, I get when brothers and sisters say, no, 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 (laughs) it's all Jesus. You know, I get that, but it sounds a little cheesy because I want to know why is it all Jesus, okay? You're giving him the glory and you're saying it's all Jesus, but to the unbeliever, they don't have a clue what you're talking about. That just sounds super goofy, right? So the non-cheesy thing, I think what we need to do to be non-cheesy Christians is really to pray, you know? Lord, how can we point to you how can we bring you glory in a very natural way that people oh i get this it's a phenomenon that just happened it's a super it's a god only a god thing that this could be and there are god things in our lives aren't there guys there should be on a regular basis i was a little convicted this last week i called sunday as i was preparing study i'm just like okay (laughs) I am drawing the biggest blank of all time. Like, honestly, God, you know, we talk. God's always doing stuff, and it's not coincidence. As much, you know, things that take place on a regular basis can't be coincidence that often. And there's just some things that can't be explained except God, you know. But they happen so often. I'm like, Sonny, I can't think of an example. She's like, I can't either. We talk all the time how we just need to be writing these things down, journaling this stuff so we can pass it on to our kids someday so they can see God in the everyday, in the norm, you know? And I have stories that were coming to mind, but they're like super big stories. I'm just like, man, why can't I just, you know, come up with an example of everyday kind of thing that is a phenomenon that only can be pointing to God and to his glory, you know? And it's one of those things, I'm like, what's going on? What's going on? What's going on? And it's so cool because uh, what I'm going to share with you guys, because I was praying for an example, the example hasn't come to fruition yet. I think it's in the part, okay? At the pantry, we have a group coming over from uh, Riverview Gardens, okay? And there's a young man, James, who's been coming out uh, to help and stuff. He comes with a couple other guys, and they get a lot done on Tuesdays. Well, he came out this last Wednesday just to help. Okay, he's getting hooked. He's like, ooh, I'm liking this. I'm liking the people. I don't really know where he's at with the Lord. I'm hoping for an opportunity to share with him at length the gospel. But it was really cool because last week, 
you know, I'm there, I'm the pastor. So beforehand, we get together with the volunteers and we all pray together. He walked in right after we got done praying, so he didn't see me praying. He doesn't know that I like Jesus. And we just kick it off. And he's just like, hey, do you help out here too? You know, you come around? I'm like, yeah, I, when I can make it, I'm here, you know? And we just had real conversation. I got to know a little bit of his background, where he's come from, why he's here in the valley, about his job. And then we get the, the, the doors open and the, the pantry guests come in and there's, you know, uh, a bunch of them. And before we start anything, we take another opportunity just to thank God and to pray. Well, I lead that part too. Well, he's on the other side of the wall talking to you. <laughs> so he doesn't know that I'm over here with all these people talking about Jesus and then praying with them, you know. And then right after that, I go back around the corner and him and I just kick up an old ordinary conversation again. I'm like, this is great, okay? I'm like, what are you doing here, Lord? When am I going to have an opportunity to share the gospel with him? Well, a little bit later, he comes to the back. We've been serving for a few hours. And he's just like, I hear there's food and stuff because we make food up for the volunteers that help because it's a long night and stuff. And he didn't even know where the kitchen was. I'm like, hey, come with me. So it's just him and I in the kitchen and stuff. And we're talking and we're just having normal conversation. And I'm just like, Lord, this is the coolest thing because in that conversation, I got to start to talk about God things and just, you know, just reminiscing with him here. I'm asking Sonny earlier in the day, I can't even think of a normal example. And here's a total stranger. I'm able to just start sharing God stuff. Not specifically, here's the gospel and why you need to repent and get right with your maker. <laughs> I'm just talking about the goodness of God. And I'm seeing this guy just kind of listen, just taking it in. And I'm really excited because I think he's coming back again. And what does God have this next week with James? What's going to happen? And it's one of those things, I'm just looking at it. Where is the phenomenon in that? Well, a lot of times, guys, for me, I'm plastered as the pastor, the cheesy Christian right off the get-go, even before I have a conversation with somebody. And I just love the hand of God this last Wednesday where I got to just talk to a guy and he didn't have a clue that I'm cheesy Christian. <laughs> and stuff. I just got to talk with him. And there's just little things in life, guys, that we look for opportunities. And I've been praying for James this last week. God, show yourself in a real way to him. You know, because it's one thing for us just to go and share stories. It's another thing when God intervenes and does something. And that's what we need to be praying for. Don't we pray for others? God, open their eyes. Let them see their need of a Savior. A lot of people are totally clueless. They're their own God, doing their own thing. They don't even care about what God thinks or has to say. And it isn't until God does something that opens their eyes. Oh, He is real. He is there. So... We keep praying. But that's what I love about what's taking place here in Acts chapter 3. We have Peter, right? Peter helped these people understand the true power that's behind this miracle. You know, let me explain to you what has just happened here. Okay, let me share. Um, I got a friend who did, uh, does ministry. I think he's still down in Chicago, but this was a lot of years ago. Uh, they were having youth ministry, okay? Um, I got to do a lot of youth ministry, seeing God do a lot of neat things through the years, but I love the story that he shared with me because he was at a bigger church that had a bigger youth group. Um, and youth kids, uh, they like to poke fun. <laughs> okay, That's just in their nature. And there were three boys that had come in uh, to his youth service, and they were just poking fun at all the other teens that were there who were worshiping the Lord. During worship, they were being loud, obnoxious, 
what's, you know, just making fun of everybody else. You know, it's probably one of those things, hey, son, you need to go to youth group tonight. I don't want to go. I'll bring my friends. <laughs> so the three of them are there just goofing off. Um, well, the story goes, my friend Dave goes uh, up to these guys towards the end of service. They had a breakout session and the boys didn't go into their breakout groups and stuff. Well, one boy uh, the day before had broken his leg and he had a cast in his leg. He went up to the boy and stuff, asked them their names, and he just simply, hey, I see your leg's broken. You mind if I pray for you? And stuff. And they all kind of just, whatever, dude. <laughs> you know, if you want to, I guess, whatever. We pray, well, guess what happens? The kid's leg gets healed instantly right there. But you know what Dave was able to do because of that miracle? Exactly what Peter did here. Hey, it's not this miracle that's important, guys. You just broke your leg. They got the x-rays. You know, you just felt it come together. You're able to stand up now on it. <laughs> okay, Jesus, let me tell you about him. Guess what those three boys did that night? They all turned their lives over to Christ. And when there are things that happen, whether it's a big thing like that or a little thing, whatever opportunity we get to get, we point people to Jesus, guys. You see, that's exactly what Peter did here. He explained it. Uh, it was some uh, inherent power in himself or John. Okay, So don't look at us, he says. Look at the Father. And again, we see that in the first part of verse 13. Look at here. And God, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus. Okay, You guys see where Jesus is being glorified here? Putting it all to him. And I think it's so important, guys, when we come face to face um, <laughs> with the reality of the gospel, Okay, it, it is authentic Christian message is always Christ. It's got to be centered on Christ. You know, um, Someone this last week um, did they have the Grammys? Which awards were on? I don't watch any of that stuff. Yeah. Did they have a music one, maybe? There was a music one. Anyways, I watched a clip and stuff. They're singing How Great Is Our God. Okay? There's a Christian gal that's come pretty popular. I knew her when she was a teen. She's still loving Jesus. Um, she's had a lot of opportunities. She's popular now. She was there, and it's her favorite song. And they're doing it at this award ceremony. I'm just like, that is so cool. And then I was watching a Christian rapper, I think, who got up to receive a reward. Okay, he was part of that performance. He's going on praising God, praising God, but he never mentioned Jesus. You know, and I thought it was cool. Like, hey, you're giving glory to God. That's cool. But why does anybody ever say Jesus? He's God, <laughs> you know? And you know it's going to offend people, but people need to know who your God is. You know, who is God? <laughs> well, it's Jesus. So that, that, that is the reality of the Christian message. And I think we need to know our audience, too. You need to understand who you're talking to. I talked with my father-in-law yesterday and stuff. Um, I have a hard time when I'm ministering to kids. Okay, like I, I pray for our kids' church teachers. They are gifted. They connect. I love the Lord. I love kids. I, I, I can teach them, but they're off wherever. It's just like, <laughs> there's not always that good connection. I've done children's ministry in the past, just trying to be faithful and obedient to it, but it doesn't come that easy. But when I do children's ministry, I try to know where they're at. Like, hey, okay, what are you guys into? Where are you at? How do you think? How can I get on a level with you that we can talk about Jesus? that you're going to understand that, 
Okay, the same thing was 13 years of youth ministry. How do I minister to teens, right? In a jail setting, little different. How do I preach Christ to these people who are incarcerated? Going to third world countries. How do I even communicate with them to begin with? <laughs> and then in that, understanding where they're coming from, how they think, their life experiences, and how to communicate Christ to them. Okay? And then there's Sunday mornings with you guys. <laughs> you know? How can I preach the word in such a way that you're going to grow, that you're going to grasp it? And then my fun ones are always the funerals because it's normally a bunch of strangers for me. I don't really know. I might know a couple family members, but as a whole, I'm clueless to who's coming. Are they going to be believers? Are they going to be non-believers? Where are they at? And it's just one of those things. A lot of times I don't know until I start speaking and kind of get a feel of where people are at. <laughs> okay, this is how to bring the gospel to them. Okay. So we need to know our audience. Very important. You see, Peter knew his audience, didn't he? He being a Jew, preaching to a bunch of what? Jews, right? He knew exactly how they thought, who was in attendance there. Um, thus, he doesn't start with Jesus, but with who? The Father. I know you guys. You're Jews, okay? You believe in God the Father. Let's start there. So he is the God of who? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? So I've come to enjoy uh, sharing my faith with Muslims, okay? If you guys are unfamiliar with Islam, I just posted on Facebook a study I did a couple weeks ago at uh, No Regrets Men's Retreat on understanding Islam. But I love sitting down and speaking with Muslims. And many times when I sit down, I start with them because they know normally that, hey, Landon's a Christian, okay? I start with, I believe in one God. Let's talk about God. I believe in one God. And as I begin to share with them, that hits a chord. Guys, I don't know if you know this or not, but there are three monotheistic religions in the world. Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. Okay? And then sometimes in dealing with the Trinity then, well, one God, but what about the Trinity? Yeah, he is three persons, but he's one God. You guys understand, we've studied the scriptures. We see that taught clearly in the word of God. Yeah, there is a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but these three, they are one. Okay? And it's hard to explain it under our understanding. Okay? Plato. I like Plato. It's kind of like taking, explaining to a Muslim the Trinity. It's kind of like taking big, three big blobs of Plato, bringing them all together, and you start mushing them together. You know how long it takes to make it all one color instead of three different colors? It's going to take quite a while. But sometimes that's how it works in you know, explaining the Trinity. Hey, let's go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created. Let's look at verse 26 in chapter 1. God's saying, hey, let us, plural, okay? There's a Godhead there. There's more than one, <laughs> but he's still one. Make man in our image. And then you just start walking him through the scriptures of, hey, this is where we see the Trinity, this is where we see God. This is where we see the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament. I think it's Jesus. Who's this guy okay, that everybody, the patriarchs of the faith, are bowing down to and worshiping, giving honor to, listening to, calling master. You know, you see it in the work of the Holy Spirit. Hey, the Son of God needs to what? Ascend that he can send what? The helper, who is the Holy Spirit, who is also God, 
it's just one of those things, the more you get into the scriptures and you get into the word of God, hey, this is clear. It is one God, but he's three persons. And I love when we have an understanding of who our audience is, where they're coming from, like Peter does here. Hey, you Jews, I'm going to talk to you about God the Father, okay? the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he really lays out for them, <clears throat> uh, don't look at us. Okay, This miracle just happened. Don't look at us. You need to look to Jesus. Look at the second part of verse 13. Okay, Jesus, the glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses in his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and you know. Yes, the faith which comes through him was given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. So Peter doesn't allow an idle curiosity or simple intellectual approach or to be a spectator, but instead they have to consider their condition that they're under judgment, that they, re that they realize it affects their soul. It's affecting their eternal destiny. On one occasion, Michelangelo turned to his fellow artists and said with frustration in his voice, why do you keep filling gallery after gallery with endless pictures of one theme, the weakness of Christ? Christ on a cross, and most of all, Christ hanging dead. He asked, why do you concentrate on the passing episode as if it were the last work, as if the curtain dropped down there on the disaster in defeat? That dreadful scene lasted only a few hours, but to the unending eternity, Christ is alive. Christ rules in reigns, in triumphs. And Michelangelo was right. Even though the cross is vitally important because of the redemption Jesus accomplished for us there, we must not emphasize his death to the exclusion of his resurrection victory. We should think of him now in his glorified state in heaven. So do you guys see as Peter preaches here, there's a source of blessing. Okay, verse 16. What is the source? It's in his name. Okay, And this is not a magic word. It's not a magic word. It is not just a name, but everything that is named individual is and represents. So his work, his personality, his power, his authority, his reputation... Okay? Everything that encompasses his name, really who he is. That's the point. Do you guys get that? Okay? I have some um, messianic wannabes <laughs> who, who tell me that I'm in trouble and I'm going to hell because I use the name Jesus. 
the, the Greek word Jesus, J-E-S-U-S. You know, do you not know that it's Yeshua? When you speak the name of God, you have to use this name. And every time I've had several come to me and want to make that argument that I'm leading people astray because I don't really use the real name of God. Okay? Well, here's the thing, guys. His name. It's who he is. Moses asked, who are you? I am that I am. <laughs> it comes back to his person. Who God is. It's who he is. Okay? For us Greeks, <laughs> okay? We're Jews, Greeks, Gentiles, right? Gentile world. You know, for most people, it's Jesus. And I ask these people who say, you don't get the name right. I'm like, well, how do you know you have the name right? Okay, because I look back in the original manuscripts and we don't know. You know, they've purposely left out letters. You're taking a wild guess. How do you know for sure? And I have a question for you because I've seen literally dozens of people healed in the name of Jesus, in the one true living God. How many people have you seen healed in the name of Yeshua? Well, they're so caught up in their religiosity, the law, the Spirit of God's not at work. I've had not one of them ever say they've seen a healing in the name of Yah. Well, not, with, not that it can't happen, because the point is, it's not some magic word, it's God. That's the point. And if you study the scriptures, if you read what Peter's laying out for us here this morning, you're going to get that. It's him. He's the one that has the power. You're looking to him. Okay? He's my dad, and he has a lot of names in the Bible. You guys know that? He's got a lot of names, okay? Um, like my kids, okay? When they came into this world, they had their own name for Nani and Bampa, Grammy. You know, it's not just Grandma and Grandpa, you know? There's these names. Well, it's the same person. Just because they're using a different name, it doesn't change who they are. You guys get that? So, we're Gentiles, English-speaking, Jesus works. If you're down in Mexico, Jesus um, so, that was supposed to be funny. <laughs> so, um, let's consider the channel of blessing here, okay? Because it's faith in his name, right? You guys get that? Okay, the source of blessing is in his name, and the channel of that blessing is in, faith in his name, so man's is simply a channel or a conduit linked to a divine supply line. I love what Warren Wiersbe said. He said this, Ministry takes place when divine resources meet human needs through loving channels to the glory of God. That is well put. So, reveal the source and be a channel. You guys get what the scriptures are teaching us here? Pretty simple. In this faith thing, let's consider this for a second. Faith, the confident reliance on God that generates holy actions as opposed to mere mental acknowledgement of facts and ideas. Okay? Faith goes deep. There's substance to it. It's not just lip service. I know this to be true. No. I believe it. And because I believe it, I'm going to put it into action and do something with it. Now, let's consider ignorance but not innocence for a second. Look at verse 17, what he lays down here. Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance. 
as did also your rulers. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets that the Christ would suffer, and he has thus fulfilled. So you can be ignorant, but not innocent. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, I have a confession to make before you guys this morning. I understand if you want to leave the church. I've had a lot of speeding tickets. And most of them I've received in my life. I mean, to the point they took my license away. That's how many I've had. Um, But that was before I was baptized in the Spirit, so that's a totally different thing. So, (laughs) well, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? Got your lead foot going, you're going up the hill, you're coming down the other side, and whoa, there's the 5-0, the fuzz. Bummer! You knew what you were doing, right? Okay? You're not ignorant of what just happened, and you're going by, you've slowed way down, you're like, oh, no. You know, and 30 seconds later, you look behind you, and oh, no, blueberries and cherries, I'm in trouble. You You know what you did. Okay? But I did receive a speeding ticket one time, and it was totally ignorance. I didn't know it was speeding. I had just enjoyed a beautiful wedding west of Appleton with my wife at this beautiful farm setting. Enjoyed the celebration of a man and a woman coming together as husband and wife. We enjoyed the day, and we're coming home, you know, and I could have swore, you know, 10 out that way was 65. I really thought, I honestly thought it. Well, it was only 55. So I was going 13 miles over the speed limit, I think, just a few over what I thought I was doing, because now I'm baptized in the Spirit. I only drive a few miles over the speed limit. But anyways, cop pulls me over, and I'm like, what happened? Do I got a tail? Like, I'm really thinking, do I have a tail light out? You know, because it was, it was dark by then. Why, why am I getting pulled over? I really thought I was just doing the speed limit. I didn't think anything of it. And he comes up, and you know how they like to ask, you know, what did you do? You know why you got pulled over? You know? uh, no, officer, I, I really don't. You know, well, I ended up getting a ticket because I broke the law. I wasn't innocent. You guys see the point there? Okay, I might have been ignorant of speeding, but the law was still in place. I still broke the law. And that's the same thing. We are all guilty, aren't we? We're all under the law. Whether you're aware of it or not, the law is still in place. And being standing before God one day and just saying, hey, I didn't know. <laughs> that isn't good enough. Okay? And you guys, some of you guys might think that's unfair. Well, how am I supposed to know what the laws of God are? Well, they're pretty simple. You know, you start reading the scriptures, you're kind of like, oh, that makes sense. Well, let's just look at the Ten Commandments because that's a pretty big deal, right? You know? It's just common sense. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't sleep with some other guy's wife. Like, <laughs> don't murder. Like, honestly. Well, I didn't know. I didn't know you actually, you know. <laughs> Anyways, we're all guilty. You guys get the point? Okay, good. Go on with that for a while. I hope you guys don't leave the church because of my speeding tickets. Um. all right so let's think again think again is what peter says look at verse 19 which is one of my favorite scriptures in all of the bible it says repent 
Really, Pastor? One of your favorite verses in all the Bible starts with repent? Yeah, because look what happens when you repent. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. That's a good thing the last time I checked, right? And also, it tells us here that refreshing may come by being in the presence of the Lord. Who doesn't want to be refreshed? Who doesn't want to be in the presence of God? There's nothing like it. Why wouldn't you want to repent? Anyways, I'm going to head of myself. Look at verse 20. And he, that he may send Jesus Christ, who is preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things which God has spoken by mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. So Peter knew many of them wanted to get in touch with the power of Jesus that they had seen with their own eyes. Jump over to chapter 4, verse 4 real quick with me. Look what it says here. It says, However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men that came uh, to be about 5,000. How cool is that? Peter preaches, the word goes forth, and 5,000 men repent. That's awesome. You guys see why I wanted to be there? It would be so cool to see all of this go down. <laughs> so let's talk about repent for a second. What does repent mean? Well, it means to change one's mind, to think again. Repent of killing the Messiah, even though you may have been ignorant of what you were doing at the time. And be converted, okay, to turn to God. The Greek word here for be converted is in an active voice, implying to you and I, as always, a very definite move on the part of man towards God. Okay? To be converted. Conversion comes from where? A Calvinist will tell you, hey, you don't get to choose to believe in Christ. You can't receive Christ as your Lord and Savior because he's just going to choose you. He's going to pick you to go to heaven and you get to go to hell. You have no say in it. Who cares if you seek God, you read the scriptures, and you want to believe because you have no choice. You can't do it. I like what the scriptures teach us. Didn't Jesus come on the scene and say what? Repent! <laughs> I'm asking you to do something. I think it's silly if God's just going to do it and make a person saved. Why would God himself come and ask people to do something if they couldn't do it anyways? That's an illogical God. It doesn't make sense. And the reverberating message of the Bible is what? Man, you need to repent. You need to turn to God. You need to believe. That's the whole of the scripture. And for a Calvinist to take a couple proof texts and cling everything to a couple verses, which often are completely out of context, that's dangerous. And the fruit of it is very ugly. The Bible is chocked full of us and our responsibility. God's faithful. He is faithful to his word, to his promise. God so loved the world. The Calvinists will say that's not true because the world doesn't really mean the world the way you're thinking of it. If you actually studied the Bible, you would know that's only speaking of those that he chooses. It's not really everybody. 
because it's only those he chooses. John 3.16, God so loved the world that whoever believes, and if you're going to camp on that, take every single occurrence of that Greek word, world, in the Bible, do your cross-references, because that teaching, that approach, if you're going to hold to that reasoning, there's a lot of scriptures that you're now in trouble with because that same word world shows up a whole lot of the places that make no sense along what you want to believe and what you want to think. So when we take a scripture here in the word of God and it's telling people, hey, you need to repent. You need to believe. You need to be converted. You need to do this and move toward God. God's done his part. He loved us. He paid for our sins. He died in our place. His blood was shed so we could be forgiven. And it is a beautiful gift. It is the most wonderful gift that's ever been given to mankind. Now it's on you if you're going to receive it or not. That's the grace of God. And how does that happen? Because that's really the problem, isn't it? We get so caught up on how a person gets saved. Well, I don't think God just makes people saved. Something happened here. 5,000 got saved. We just saw a bunch of people get saved earlier in Acts. And we're going to see as we study verse by verse through this book and the entire of Scripture, the Word of God goes forth and people come to know Him. It's through the preaching of the Gospel. Turn to Romans chapter 10 for a second. I think the Bible's pretty clear how salvation works. Because it would be odd if people were just going to be chosen here or there, why do we see in Scripture that salvation, conversion, takes place after the preaching of the gospel? Why does it have, it should be just happening randomly. And all the people that are being chosen, wouldn't it be weird that they're all together all at one time in history? In a certain place, certain time? It just, it's not logical. Romans chapter 10. Let's look at verse 17 together. Romans 10, 17. So then faith comes by what? Hearing. Where does faith come from? A Calvinist will say, faith comes because God comes upon you and he forces you. He regenerates you by his spirit. He makes you come into relationship. That sounds like rape. If you wanted to find what rape is, that's rape. You guys might say this sounds harsh, but it goes against the nature of God. Does that sound like God at all? That God oh, just deems some people to go to hell and others get to go to heaven and we have no say in it? What's the point in even preaching the gospel? Why was a great commission even given if they're just going to be saved? It makes no sense. But what God tells us in his word is very clear. Faith comes by hearing. And we're, what are we to hear? What, what is going to make that faith happen? Well, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And that's why we take the word of God so seriously at Freedom Fellowship. We want people to come to know Jesus. Okay? And how is that going to happen? Well, according to Romans here, and according to what we see taught in the scriptures, what Jesus himself has asked us to do is go preach the gospel. You need to speak it. And in that, just like we see here in Acts chapter 3, 5,000 people repented. They were converted. Why? Because Peter spoke the word of God. He preached the gospel. He met with them. Hey, let's consider the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Let's consider this servant Jesus, the one that you crucified. You guys murdered. You've broken the law of God. What are you going to do? Well, let me share with you what God has done. Okay, 
Because we talk about a miracle, only a man gets healed. The greatest miracle, guys, is when somebody comes to a spiritual healing for all time. Not just a leg getting healed for a short time. <laughs> this is eternal salvation, guys. Eternal healing. So, when we read things like this, and again, this is a clear call of man responding to God. They are to move towards God. And there's some beautiful things that happen. Okay, That's why the Bible... <laughs> teaches repentance and honestly as your pastor if you ask me ask me anytime what do you think is the sweetest word in all of the bible i'm going to tell you it's repentance that is the sweetest word that we are ever going to find in the scriptures because there's three things that we see here that really lay out what repentance does number one sins are blotted out okay we've all fallen short of the glory of god we've all sinned we all have a problem we deserve hell. But what did Jesus do? He made way for our sins to be washed away. To be white as snow. As far as the east is from the west. He's done that for us because he loved us. But he's not going to force that gift upon any one of us. Okay, God does not force himself upon anybody. So it says here, sins blotted out. Okay, so they wouldn't have to understand the depth of this yet, but there would be no more need for an annual atonement. As Jews, you guys understood, they went through all these rituals. Once a year, they hoped that the blood took, okay, that their high priest, who was only once a year allowed to go into the most holy place there in the temple, that he wouldn't die, because if he died, people knew we're screwed. We messed up too bad. Okay, God's not going to forgive us. We're in trouble. We're in trouble. You see, guys, you can still you know, commemorate the Day of Atonement, but you need to understand that he has taken away all our sins for all time for those who are in Christ. All of them. Okay, be like an example. I like to deer hunt. Every year I throw down 20 bucks for a license. Okay, 20, 20. You know, it would be $560 that I've spent so far on deer hunting license. Well, more with bow hunting. But anyways, wouldn't it be cool if somebody came up and said, hey, Landon, lifetime license for you right here. Here's your permit. You get to, wouldn't it be foolish for me just say, no, nope, forget it. You know, I don't want that. But that's exactly what people do with Christ all the time. I paid your debt. Every sin that you've ever done, ever will do. I loved you. I took your place on the cross. I, died. I didn't deserve to die. I had nothing wrong. I took your sins, took your place. I was tortured, beaten, put to death so you could live, so you could have eternal life. It'd be foolish for us not to receive that, but to reject it. The second thing repentance does, it promises a time of refreshing. Okay, it will come from the presence of Jesus in your life. Some of you guys might be going through it, and I, I'm sure a big part of it, you're not sensing the presence of God with you. Okay? Life's not easy. Okay? I've gone through a lot of hard things, and it stinks. It really is hard when you don't feel like God's with you. You're not in his presence. You can even be doing all the right things and trying your hardest. You know, but it's one of those things where the Bible says repent, turn to, change your thinking. 
well, God, <laughs> the way I feel makes me want to think this way. I know it's not true, but I can't help it. God says, no, repent. You need to repent. You need to change your thinking. And let me tell you what, guys, when there would be true repentance, every time I've really turned back to Christ, changed my thinking despite how I felt, even despite what others might be saying, turning to him, receiving the truth, there is that refreshing that comes. And I don't know about you guys, but you might be like <laughs> me where you feel like all you're doing all day long is repenting. Because you're just like, hey, here I am. But you get off track real quick. Oh, <laughs> time to turn back to God. <laughs> you know? But there's this promise. There's a blessing. There's a beautiful thing that takes place. You see, I'm still being refreshed by the cross of Christ each time I learn more about it and just bask in its simplicity. Just turn to Him. The third thing is we get to enjoy the second coming of Christ. Okay? We get to enjoy that. It's one of those things repentance does is we turn and we look to him. Aren't we you know, exhorted in scripture to be looking for the coming of Christ? Exactly. I love it. I love that the sun's out. I don't know about you guys. You know, I mean, we're middle of winter still and um, <clears throat> the sun's out, so none of us wore coats today. <laughs> we're just goofy here in Wisconsin. So, but there's just something that's beautiful, you know, when the sun is out. It just... Uh, you know, gets us going. But a few days ago, I was with Shalom. We're going out to pick up the boys from school. And the sun's out. I think it was on Thursday. Beautiful. And it's just so cool because we're recognizing clouds again. It's not just gray everywhere. <laughs> the clouds are out amidst the sunshine. It's just beautiful. And my three-year-old daughter says, Daddy, is Jesus coming back? Look at the clouds, you know? And I'm just like, yeah, my three-year-old, <laughs> she's getting it. But that's what happens when we repent, when we turn to Christ. We're going to be looking, you know? Hey, I'm looking to you, God. And you, you said you could come back at any time. Are you coming? You know, we get to enjoy his coming. So look at verse 22 and 23. We'll start wrapping it up here. It says, For Moses truly said to the fathers, the Lord your God will raise you up or raise you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear in all things and whatever he says to, do, or to you. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the peoples. So in verse 22, was Jesus a prophet, a prophet like Moses? Yeah. Absolutely, and more, <laughs> okay? A prophet speaks for God, but Jesus also spoke as God. He spoke what the Father gave him to say, as did all the prophets, but he and the Father are one. And Moses explained the sacrificial system for atonement, and Jesus was the final sacrifice for sin, okay? Bulls and goats could only atone for sin. Okay? They're animals. We needed another human. Why did God become man? <laughs> because we needed an equal sacrifice. Okay? Something like us. Another human. Okay? To atone for our sins for good. Verse 23. Destruction for all who will not believe. Okay? There is the wishful thinking out there. Well, since God is good, which he is good, we all get to get into heaven. You know? 
My heart says I wish that was true. But dang, I'll be a little ticked if I'm up in heaven one day and I meet the man who raped my friend's daughter and he's there and he hasn't done it just to one young woman. I'll be mad if Hitler's in heaven. Really? Why is he there? This ain't fair. I won't be mad if these men repented and turned to Christ because I'm just as guilty as they are. Okay? You sin, you're a sinner. Period. Doesn't matter how great or how small. But there are things that irk me when I see the unjust go free. Don't, isn't there something in us that just want justice? Yeah, it's there. Is God just? Absolutely. He is just. And he will judge fairly. But he's also a God that loves us a whole lot <laughs> and made a way for us to be forgiven, for our debt to be paid. But he's not going to force that upon any of us. It's a gift that's given that has to be received by faith. It's beautiful. Like If you step back at it and really consider it, it's the only way it can be. It's the only way that makes sense. It's what brings glory to God because it is all of his grace. And he is just and fair. So, verse 24. This is to all families. Yes, all the prophets from Samuel to those who follow, as many have spoken, have also foretold of these things. You are sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So this quote way back from Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, is the great commission in the Old Testament. Okay, It's laid out here. So Peter remembered that he was giving the power promise back in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, not just to heal lame beggars, but also to be an effective witness to the uttermost parts of the world. He understood what he was doing that day. This is what God has called me to. This is why I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. So to bless you, look at verse 26. To you first, he's speaking to the Jewish people, God having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from your iniquities. So how? In turning away every one of you from your iniquities. That's how you're blessed. Man, to be free of shame, of guilt, to be able to have a standing before your maker, to know that you are accepted as his beloved, that you get to spend eternity with him, nothing better, guys. And that's the good news we have to share with the world. And I pray we get opportunities like Peter had 2,000 years ago, that we see phenomenal things happening and that in that, we have opportunities to preach Christ. Amen? Amen. All right, let's stand. Well, Father, as we stand together, we thank you for the privilege, the blessing. Father, your grace. the gift of the gospel. We have a standing before you 
And it's only because of what you have done. It's all you, Jesus. Thank you so much for loving us and dying in our place. We thank you for the call for every man, woman, child to repent because the kingdom of God is at hand. And Father, we know that you've commissioned us to be about your business, about kingdom business. So we pray as your children, as we have opportunity to go forth from this place, to go out onto the mission field, that you give us opportunities to share with others. God, and we do pray, Lord, that you would open hearts and minds. And even this morning, if there are any here who have not bowed their knee to you, Jesus, who have not believed, have received personally that gift, God, that your Holy Spirit, Father, through your word here, would just bring about the conviction, God, the eye-opening that's needed. We all need a Savior. And it's clear, it's so clear it's you, Jesus. You alone. You alone are God. You alone are Savior. We see that. We recognize that. We profess that. We're so thankful for your word, how it effectively works in those who believe. God, I was able to open eyes, how it teaches us what we need to know. And I pray that we would be personally in a place of really seeking you diligently. Father, finding our place in daily devotions to hear from you. I pray this in your name. Amen. 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 So, brethren, I commend you to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified. Amen. Amen. Amen.